everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're getting a bonus episode. Super excited to share this episode with you with Molly Huddle, who just broke the American record in the half marathon in a time of 107.25. She broke this record that was set by Dina Castor 12 years ago. So this was a really big deal, and I know like so many of you guys, I was so excited for her. And Molly has already been requested to to be on the show so many times, but once she broke the record on Sunday, I've had at least 20 more requests for Molly. So I decided to try my best to reach out to her and get her on the show as soon as I could after the race, while it was still fresh on her mind. Big thanks to my friend David Dowd with Saucony for connecting me with the right people to get in touch with Molly. So most of you probably already know who Molly Huddle is, and we don't get into her background too much in this episode because I was so excited to talk to her about her race in Houston and her plans to run the Boston Marathon, along with so many other incredible women this year. But a brief history. Molly went to Notre Dame, so she lived in Indiana for a short time, which you know that's exciting to me since I'm an Indiana girl. She's a 10-time All-American. Molly is a professional athlete for Saucony. She trains in Providence, Rhode Island. She holds 25 national titles to her name. She currently holds the 10K American record, just broke the half marathon American record. And in that race, she says unofficially. We're just waiting for it to be official though. She also broke the 10 mile American record and the 20K American record. So Molly's doing big things. She's only run one marathon, the New York City Marathon in 2016 when she came in third place with a time of 228.13. And she is towing the line at Boston this year. So in this episode, I get very detailed with questions about Houston and how that race went and what her goals were there and her training for Boston and all kinds of other fun stuff. So I know you guys are gonna love this episode with Molly. Super excited to get it out to you quickly. Okay, well, today we're talking with Molly Huddle, who just broke the American record in the half marathon in Houston on Sunday. Welcome to the show, Molly. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I have to tell you two things that you and I have in common. Um, One, we share a birthday. No way. Yeah, August 31st. Nice, a fellow Virgo. I like it. (laughs) Unless your Wikipedia page is wrong. Oh, that is correct. Yep. (laughs) Um, I am your elder by one year. (laughs) Ah, Okay. (laughs) Small world. Yeah. And then two, you went to Notre Dame. I did not go to Notre Dame, but I'm from Indiana and I live in Indiana. Oh, okay. Awesome. What part? Um, I live in Indianapolis. I'm from Bloomington and went to IU. Okay. We actually, um, my husband used to train in Bloomington after college. So we spent a good amount of time at IU. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. Well, Bloomington has the best hills to train on. They really do. It's like a hidden gem for running. It really is. And people that are from other parts of the country, anytime I say that it's hilly, like, because we live in Indianapolis and it's flat. So a lot of times if my husband or I are training for like Boston or a hilly race, we go down to Bloomington and do a lot of runs and people are like, you don't have hills in Indiana. What are you talking about? Oh, they have a lot of hills. (laughs) I definitely remember the hills. (laughs) So you heard it here from Molly Huddle, guys. Bloomington has hills. Yep. (laughs) So are you are on mountain time now? Are you training at altitude today, this week? We are. We we went up right after uh, the race, and we're here until about mid-February. Oh, cool. Awesome. Well, 
Now, you broke the American record in the half marathon in Houston on Sunday, but what some people might not know is you also broke the 10-mile and the 20K record as well, correct? I believe so. I don't know if that's official yet, but um, they had clocks up, and that's what they were telling me. So, (laughs) yes. Okay, so that's a question I have then. Is it considered, like, once they market official is that considered an american record if you do it in the midst of a longer race i think so as long as they have um a clock up then they can uh like measure it and ratify it after the fact so i think actually when dina set her half record in berlin um she had records en route as well i think that's where her she might have set the 10-mile record in that one, too, I think. Okay. Because I've wondered that. I've had um, another friend I've had on the podcast. She set a half-marathon PR during her most recent marathon, and she was like, does that count, though, if it was in the middle of my race? Well, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> the technicalities. I mean, I, I don't know if I would count a PR. Like, okay. I think my 800 PR might be at the end of a 5K, <laughs> okay. and I just never... You know, so I don't know where it stands, but I think um, I was told if they have clocks up, they can use it. So Okay, yeah. cool. Well, you are, real quick, brief history, in case people don't know Molly Huddle, you're, you were a 10-time All-American in college. You have 25 national titles to your name. You're a two-time Olympian um, in the 5K in 2012, the 10K in 2016. We could get into all that. There's so much to get into there. We've got like 15 to 20 years of really awesome running here. But I do specifically today want to talk to you about Houston and then obviously Boston coming up. So going yeah. into Houston, did you have your sights set on that American record? Um, <clears throat> I was I was hoping we could PR, I and that would be close to the record. I had only ever run kind of more challenging courses for the half marathon. So I was excited no matter what happened to just get on a flat, fast course. Um, But yeah, we've been training pretty well since like track season ended back in August. So since September, I've been training and I thought, you know, with that much um, training under my belt, I should be able to give it a crack on, you know, by January. And um, when we saw how good the field was, we, we thought, yeah, just get onto the back of that lead pack and, and see what happens. Well, and you ran with the lead pack for the first 10 miles, didn't you? I did. I think it was around 10 that I um, got dropped. And I don't know if they, I don't know if the women surged or if I just finally <laughs> felt <laughs> that pace catch up to me. But yeah, it just kind of seemed like they pulled away effortlessly. And I was like, oh no, I'm alone. But um, I was glad to make it through 10 and then just put some time in the bank there and um yeah I I was hoping to give it a good race but then when I I got dropped so early that I was like okay like just focus on the time for now that's what's going to get you to the finish line now that's interesting for me to hear you say um having some time in the bank because you hear people so often say like you can't bank time in the marathon you can't bank time in the marathon or the half really but uh, we're talking to someone who is running with like world-class athletes and is a wor- world-class athlete. So can you talk about that? Like the importance of, well, maybe you banked time, but it was so important that you stayed with the pack. Yeah. That, I mean, that is true. Like as a strategy, you can't really bank time if you're, if you know, you're going to hit, you're going too fast for what you can sustain. Cause, um, 
usually you just make it all back when you slow down. So that did kind of happen. Like I, I probably should have not gone under 67 flat pace at any point, but like no race is ideal. And it was too good to, the field was too good to pass up, like trying to run with them. Um, and when you get, you know, seven or eight women all running really fast like that, it feels a lot easier to go mm. with the pack than to run by yourself, even if it's a little too hard. And so I've had races like that in the past where, like on the track, where I kind of just hang out and um, try and stay as easy as I can, but I know it feels a little bit too hard. And um, I get dragged along usually to a pretty good time, even though I fade a little bit at the end. So I was kind of trying to use that strategy of just like, really using that great field and trying to, um, you know, it's kind of inspiring to even be hanging with them for a little bit when you know the women, uh, who they are, and they've run, you know, 65 minutes for half or a 220 flat marathon, or they've won like a major, you know, there were really great women there. So I was kind of like, okay, like, this is giving you confidence that you can at least, you know, hang with this pack and um, be somewhat relaxed for at least, you know, eight, nine miles and, and then just that's when the race takes over after that. So yeah, it was, a, it's not a strategy I probably would use for the marathon, to be honest, because um, you always worry about not finishing. <laughs> I mean, the marathon is a beast that way, like the half, you don't really, it's, it's hard, it's long, but you don't really worry about not finishing. So yeah. um, I don't, I don't know that I will ever be that aggressive in the marathon. But um, yeah, for the half, I thought, what do I have to lose? So you're happy you did it, obviously, right? Yeah, I'm happy. I I still, you know, I would, I still am unhappy that maybe I slowed down so much and, and wasn't able to really race very well at the end. But it paid off as far as the record goes, and and however long it lasts, it lasts. So it's it's still a positive step towards Boston for sure. Yeah, I mean that record's been, it's been standing for twelve years. And is it uh, what? How many seconds was it? Nine seconds. It was, yeah, it yeah. was only nine seconds. So I, <laughs> I think, you know, the half marathon has gotten a lot more popular the last couple of years, and um, it's being run more and more often. So who knows if someone will take a crack at that uh, in the next year or two. But yeah, I'm I'm proud to be um, up at the level of Dina Castor for for that race distance anyway, because she is obviously a great athlete. And um, I was telling someone else, I think after. When she ran that record, I think it was only three weeks later that she won the London Marathon and, and ran 219. So it points to being in pretty good shape. Man, that's crazy. She won it three weeks later. Because is mm-hmm. that typical to race a half marathon so all out and then race a marathon three weeks later as an elite? Yeah, you don't see it too often. Um, I think it was only three, three and a half weeks later. Um so it does sound kind of close, but it, you know, she was really fit and, um, it was, it worked out really well. How has Dina been an inspiration to you throughout your career? Yeah, she's definitely been someone who like at the age that I started running seriously and started paying attention to, you know, the elite world and, um, the professional world, uh, like she was the one that was at the top and she was winning, you know, winning major marathons not just one but two I think she won Chicago New York set the American record won an Olympic medal this was all when I was a senior in high school freshman in college so really impressionable and um definitely inspired by that and yeah I I think 
she's definitely a big part of why U.S. women's running is so strong right now. You know, I think we were all that age when, like, the crop of women now, like um, Shalane and um, Emma Coburn and uh, Courtney Fryricks and those girls, like, that have meddled and Amy Hastings that have ran so well this last year. Like, I know they all looked up to Dina. Um, so it's cool to see that ripple effect. Yeah, I have had the opportunity to talk with Dina on this podcast, and she also just seems so genuine and for lack of a better term like normal you know just (laughs) so kind and humble too yeah definitely like I know Amy Hastings who's one of my good friends trained with her for a little while and I'm like you're so lucky like I (laughs) wish I could I wish I could have like picked her brain on distance runs um and just had that like volume of conversational time with her so it's pretty valuable I'm sure for her I'm sure Dina would would have you out to Mammoth anytime yeah, yeah, maybe the next build up we need to check out Mammoth. I hear it's really beautiful up there. Oh, totally. So, um, in Houston, back to Houston. Well, no, one question I wanted to ask based on what you had just said was why do you think the half marathon's getting so uh so much more popular now? You know, I just think um it was <clears throat> as a distance, it's just um a good stepping stone to the marathon and Road racing in general seems to be just increasing in participation and popularity the last couple of years, like the last 10 years. So I think it's kind of part of that. Um, but I, I mean, it doesn't seem like it became that official of a distance until too recent in history. Like the World Half Marathon Championships, I don't know how old they are, but I know they don't go back very far um, compared to something like the 10K. So Um, I think it's just starting to, you know, get run more often. There's just more road races out there, period, um, to choose from. So I think it's, it's just all part of that rising popularity in road running. And, um, I think people like that you can still feel accomplished after a half, but not like dead, like after a marathon. So I can see why it'd be an attractive distance. (laughs) Yeah. You're not totally wiped. Um, yeah. Now, in Houston, you know, Jordan was out there, too, and you guys were both probably kind of had your eyes set on that American record. What would that have been like? I'm just wondering, as a competitor, what would that have been like if you guys would have kind of hung together and been, like, chasing after that record in the last, like, 800 meters or something? Yeah, that definitely would have added, like, another element of drama to the (laughs) storyline of that race. But, um, you know, I've been in that situation before, too, uh, with Shannon Roberry and the 5k record and it's come down to the last 600 and I'm like okay like <laughs> it's whoever wins those 600 so it's really stressful like you you have to just stay in the moment in the race and and just know like it's it also you just have to race you know you're trying to beat the people around you whether regardless of what the time is so typically that's when I run my best when I just even if there is a record on the line, you're just competing because um, mm-hmm. it just simpli- simplifies all your thoughts and everything it just goes towards that. So um, it would have been interesting for sure. There were plenty of women to race that day in that pack. So yeah. it was <laughs> it was definitely we were all pushed to our limit for sure. Um, it was good, a good experience. Now, you talked about I think it was your flow track interview about. You were re- you've really been focused on Houston. I mean, because re- I think a lot of people might assume that you kind of use this as like training for Boston, but like you've been training for that race, right? 
I have. Um, I mean, we didn't want to start our build up too early. We still have a hundred or just under a hundred days even now. So I was hoping to just start the build up after um, the race officially and you know it just is a good confidence booster to go into the build-up in good shape that's kind of we tried to mimic what we did for new york where um i had come off the olympics really fit and pring in the 10k and then took a week off and then started in my build-up um so that's kind of what we were thinking for this so now you're at altitude and things are really picking up for boston right Yep. Yeah, we took, we're going to take, I think we're on like day three of like a little four or five day, um, or one day four of like a little down period. And then on Saturday, I'll do my first workout. So I will start the build up uh, that day, I guess, is <laughs> official day one. Um, but yeah, this week's just kind of time to recover. And I got a bit sick at the race. So kind of getting rid of a cold this week, which it's hard enough to breathe at altitude, so I'm struggling as, enough as it is this week. So, yeah, just kind of easing into it. <laughs> oh, sure. I bet that's tough, especially with a cold. So did you take a day – I mean, do you take a day off? Like after the half, the next day you might travel or whatever, do you take a day where you don't run and you just kind of foam roll and whatnot? Um, usually we don't take a day completely off. We'll do like a half-hour run just to kind of stretch your legs. But, yeah, then like – you know, we'll focus on kind of body work and um, I might get a massage that day or something like that. And that's like, we'll do that every two weeks nearly. What were your decisions around deciding you wanted to be in that field at Boston among so many incredible, I mean, women runners on a world stage, but like there's a million American elite runners in that field as well. Yeah, it's awesome. Like I, I actually didn't know any any of the other women were doing the race when I committed to it. I, um, we were just talking about what I wanted my spring marathon to be for 2018, and we had a couple of different options. And um, one option was to do a faster course and try and PR, and um, the other option was to do a race that you know Boston like. Boston Marathon and New York City Marathon are like the two marathons that as an American I, I had watched growing up and that I get really excited about. Um, so I, I got to do New York already and um, Boston was on the list because of that reason. So yeah, we talked about it and, you know, I don't have a lot of marathons potentially left um, to do before the trials because I, I would love to make the 2020 Olympic team in the marathon. So you really have to plan, you know, four years in advance, like um, what you want to fit in before the trials and then the actual Olympic marathon should you make the team. So I thought, you know, when I don't know when I'll be able to do this race. Uh, I really want to do it now. It really excites me. So, yeah, we, we committed early and then the other names rolled in and I was like, this is turning into like a really great race. And um the women's field in particular is going to be really exciting to watch. So I, I definitely was glad that I chose that. I would have felt so left out if I, <laughs> if I was overdoing like a London marathon or like one of the other European marathons for a fast time and just kind of watching the results from afar. Like I, it wouldn't have felt right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I love that. Well, I am so excited because 
I don't always go out to Boston, but my husband decided to run this year. So I get to be there as a spectator, like, and I get to see you guys all finish. So I am just like, so pumped about that. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. So a little bit more about Boston. Uh, One question I have, this isn't Boston related, but this is just kind of a question I have about marathon training in general. Uh, So most of us recreational runners, we do like a standard taper, you know, say we peak out at like 60 miles or, you know, something like that for our um, peak weeks. And then we do like a standard 20 mile, 16 mile, 10 mile long run, then race. I want to know what your taper is like. When's the last time that you're doing a 20 mile run? Um, well, I've, I only really have the one build up to go off of, but I believe we, we tapered. Uh, it was like between 10 days and two weeks out, I think was the last long run. And it was, it wasn't my longest long run. I think it was, it was like a 21 or a 22. And my longest one was, I think, about a week and a half before that. Um, so yeah, two, we start the taper like, um, probably two weeks out is the average. Okay. And Another question I think we all want to know is when Molly Huddle's standing at the start line of the Boston Marathon among, you know, all these great runners that you're going to be racing right next to, like, what are you thinking? Oh, gosh. (laughs) It's like, it's going to be, I don't, I don't even know because I've been thinking about that day for like, I've already been thinking about it for like three months and we haven't even started the buildup. So like, I hope I don't just freak out. I never have. You know, I've run a lot of high-pressure meets, so I think I'm just going to take it as any other race. Um, And it's my first Boston, so, you know, everyone around me will have run it before, except for maybe one or two of the international athletes. Um, So I'm going to be thinking that, you know, just be careful, be conservative on the course. Um, And just, yeah, just thinking of the next steps, the, the next mile ahead, I guess, just digging it a mile at a time, like I always do. So um, it's going to be such a, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be like such a big buildup and there's going to have been a lot of hype for a long time. So it, it's it's definitely going to be on like a lot of races I've done. Do you envision yourself being packed up with everybody for like, you know, 20 miles or whatever? It seems like, seems like the females stay packed up pretty good for quite a long time and kind of like hang together in these big major marathons. Yeah, I don't know what to expect. You kind of have to be ready for a variety of things. But the women in the race, there's it doesn't seem like there's anyone in there who's usually really aggressive and goes out really hard. So I would imagine, yeah, it might be packed up. And um, just the nature of the Boston course is that it seems like like the first half of the course can kind of be deceptively easy Mm because it's downhill but then if you go out too fast I've heard you know obviously the hills in the second half do you in so I think everybody knows that everyone who's run the race knows that and so it might stay together a little longer is what I'm thinking but yeah we'll have to be ready for like two or three different plans yeah it is it is interesting I ran Boston a couple times not at like five minute mile pace but um it always feels so weird because you feel like you're just like sprinting down those hills like the first mile alone you're just your body's just like flying because it's so downhill you know Mm -hmm. um so my husband is doing a lot of um so we're you know we're super flat here in Indianapolis and 
Um, we have three kids, so we don't have the opportunity to like just drive down to Bloomington to run 20 miles, you know, on the weekend. <laughs> but um, he's doing a lot of treadmill running where he'll like run downhill and then he'll run uphill for like, you know, a good amount of time. And then he'll finish like the last, you know, four or five miles of his run, like really pretty steep downhill to get his quads used to that. Um, what kind of things like that are you planning on doing specifically for, you know, the Boston course? Yeah, I've heard um, from a number of people who've run it that that's important to factor that into your training. And <clears throat> we're going to, I did some hill, a lot of hilly running just in my base phase um, in like September and October when I was home. And I got to check out the course um, once as well. And then now that we're in Arizona, it's been harder to find kind of the hilly terrain but um in Flagstaff there's definitely more obviously we're on a mountain so I'll be able to find it a little easier and I think what we're going to do is um some of the threshold runs like tempo runs do our we have a longer warm-up sometimes so I'd like to do that down all downhill Mm. and then do the actual tempo on some rolling hills um so we've been looking for that kind of terrain and then um, long runs too. We wanted to kind of mimic the course and do like first half of the long run downhill, second half rolling hills. So yeah, it's, I think, you know, that just helps psychologically too on race day. You can think back to those days where you were really specific about it and say, I have that training. And, and when it comes at me in the race, like I'll be able to think back to that and say, you, you've done this before. Will you do anything that focuses on like you know, spring marathons are so like tough because you just never know. Is it going to be 70 degrees and sunny? Like, is it going to be really hot or is it going to be 40 and rainy? And I guess you could say that about fall marathons too, but I feel like more typically you see like these random hot days in the spring. So are you doing like any indoor running or anything like that to get acclimated to that in case that happens? Yeah, we're, uh, we're not doing indoor running, but we're, I'll be in Arizona for March, part of March too. So um, I'll get some warmer weather there, but yeah, I like the last couple of years, it seems like Boston has been pretty warm. Like I know we were watching it last year. I think we were at mile 16 or 17 and the sun was just kind of beating down on us watching. And I was like, okay, this is pretty warm just standing <laughs> here. Like everyone must be so hot. Um, so yeah, I definitely have, uh, benefited from, um, partnering with Gatorade this last year and they have this cool lab where, they can um, kind of change the conditions of the room to different weather conditions. So um, we went out there and um, they like made the room like basically like 70, 75 degrees, I think it was, and just measured how much I sweat and what I would need to be taking in um, per hour. And um, as far as carbohydrates and fluids. And so that was good to just have like a number on it and um, be able to practice that based on those numbers and tweak it as I need to. So, um, I feel prepared, um, in that way because yeah, I like, it was perfect weather in New York and, um, I've never had to do a marathon in anything hot. So I, I definitely want to be ready for that. Well, speaking of that though, Houston was pretty cold. How did you decide what to wear? Yeah, I, it was chilly. I, always overdress. Um, (laughs) I usually have the most clothes on in the race because (laughs) I just don't, I don't like to be cold. My muscles just feel like they don't work that good when they're tight and cold. So I had a full long sleeve t-shirt on and calf sleeves. Um, and usually I wear a hat, but I didn't wear the hat this time. So, 
um, I felt comfortable. I was definitely not too hot. <laughs> well, like the hat you could, you know, always throw off, but that long sleeve that was under your jersey, like you're kind of locked into that. Yeah, I I never mind the t-shirt versus like, I know a lot of people wear the arm sleeves, uh-huh. um, but I like having like a double layer on because we just have those thin mesh tops and I my back gets like my back muscles get cold and um, tight sometimes. So I don't know. I just, you know, I've never, I I have never finished a race too hot before. So I was just like, go for the shirt, (laughs) commit to the shirt. (laughs) You were happy with your, with your choice. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a thin, it was like a nice thin, um, Saucony tech top. So it was comfortable and it had like the built in, um, like glove sleeve cuff Mm, things that I love. Yeah. So it was nice. (laughs) So what are your biggest goals for Boston? Um, you know, it's obviously they're talk like everyone is hyping up, um, that an American could win. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously a dream to win any major marathon, but like the Boston marathon is like, you know, the marathon of all marathons to win, especially if you live in new England, like I do. So, um, that's kind of a pie in the sky dream, but just to be, you know, PR, like I would like to run a little faster than I did in my first marathon and to just feel like I raced the distance well um and handled the course well and um left it all out there on race day basically and and avoided any you know marathon type disasters that can happen as far (laughs) as like you know fueling problems and blisters and bonking and all that stuff so I think if we can do all that um I'll feel good about it now, do you feel like, um, and this is, I'm only saying this because it's only your second marathon and I have all the belief in the world that you could win the Boston marathon, but do you feel like Houston kind of like put you out there like, Oh, wait a minute. Molly's kind of this dark, dark horse here. Like she's a real, real contender. Not that you weren't before, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny. Like we have such a great women's field on the American side and, and everyone's saying, you know, the top four women are um probably like Shalane, Jordan, myself and Des and I think we we each think we're the underdog of those four for mm-hmm. some reason and like neither of us are so um yeah it's just gonna be and and like I wouldn't count Dina out either people forget that Dina's racing and she's she looks really good and in, in her like she was at Houston too running so um I think it gave me some confidence and some buzz maybe going into it, but like the half is so different than the full and a flat fast course is so different than a hilly, you know, kind of, um, difficult course. So, um, I think it just means I'm fit right now going into it and, and everything's going good right now. And that points in a good direction. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Shalane and Des, like they've both run Boston so many times, so does that kind of give you like, um, I don't know, do you like look up to what them with how they race the course or what they're different? Because they race pretty differently, the two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like Boston seems like a course that it takes a few times to master. So I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to like um, have the learning curve be a bit quicker for me. But um, Shalane has raced it a couple different ways and, and does has raced it usually she just runs her own race and it's it works really well because I've noticed 
her best ever performances come from the Boston Marathon. Um, you know, some of the best things, her PR, her second place finish, and, you know, she rarely has a bad day there. So I think that is a good thing to look at for how to run that course is the way, is the way she runs it. Um, and <clears throat> I think it'll be comforting kind of in that way to have those two in the race and to kind of see what they do on race day. Not that you can run anyone else's race, but, um, you know, when you can't learn from your own experiences, you have to try and learn from other people. So um, definitely we'll be thinking of that. That's a really smart way to look at it. I want to thank a sponsor for this episode real quick, and that is Four Sigmatic. Have you guys tried it out yet? Four Sigmatic makes drinking mushrooms and superfoods delicious and easy to do with their mushroom coffees, mushroom superfood blends, and mushroom elixirs. I love the elixirs and I use the superfood blends in my morning juice. And the thing about these coffees and elixirs that are powered with functional mushrooms is it gives you a different kind of energy than just regular old coffee with a regular old caffeine. You won't know until you try it. You know who was drinking it before the New York City Marathon and leading up to it was Allie Kiefer who got fifth place. So she can be our proof that it works, right? Uh, you guys can get 15% off the product if you go to foursigmatic.com slash another and use the code another to get 15%. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash another. Use the code another for 15% off. And guys, when you support a sponsor of this show, you are directly supporting the podcast because you're showing our sponsors that it works. And I do not bring on a partner or a sponsor that I do not believe in. So I encourage you to check it out. Forsigmatic.com slash another. Promo code another for 15% off. All right, back to my conversation with Molly. Um, now, with your training, you you train with a couple girls on the regular in Rhode Island, but you're Sockety sponsored, and they're not, correct? Um. <clears throat> Ashling Cuff is Saucony, but yeah, Emily um, Sisson is, is New Balance. So a lot of people I've talked to have kind of like credited this American distance running phenomenon or whatever, you know, with everybody doing so well and achieving so many great things to like the distance running projects and groups out there. Do you credit a lot of your success to having a good group to run with? Um, yeah, definitely. We're, <clears throat> we're, our group is basically there because of Ray Tracy at Providence College. So we're not tied to any one okay. sponsor, but, <clears throat> um, I've definitely, like I came to Providence for Ray, but <clears throat> also because they had one of the deepest women's groups for 5k and 10k, um, in the country when I was coming out of school with, um, <clears throat> Kim Smith and, Mary Cullen and Amy Rudolph and Roisin McGettigan and we had um, <clears throat> Sarah Jameson from Australia. So we had this kind of international group that flew under the radar a little bit, but was um, doing, you know, making teams and, and re setting records and stuff. So I definitely learned from those women when I first got there and just kind of got in line behind them <laughs> in workouts and practice. And um, it was really, really helpful. And you know, if I, I think if I had been on my own, I would have just continued to make some of the smaller mistakes that I was making um, in college and stuff. 
and as far as like running too hard on easy days and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, they, they definitely helped me, um, a lot right away. Oh, but you've, I've heard you mention, you know, you're kind of like a 5k runner at heart like that that distance will always have a special place in your heart but like at some point you see people do this transition that you're you know naturally kind of doing now what what is that why do we do that and tell me how you're loving it I think just as a distance runner um you want to try more events especially if you're in the sport for a long time and um the marathon in particular kind of is alluring because it's so challenging. And I think most people want to try that before they're done running. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can also help extend your career on the professional side. Cause we've seen women, you know, aged like 36, 38, uh, you know, 37 winning majors and winning medals. And, um, you know, Edna Kiplagat has won, the last Boston marathon and she won actually the marathon major this year. And I think she's 37 or 38 and, and you just see that it's possible like Meb running so well and in, late into his career. Um, it's just a mature runner's event. And, um, you know, if that can help me run, uh, make another Olympic team late in my career, then that's, and it'll be a whole new experience too, that I won't be comparing to my other experiences. And, um, I just think that's, that's cool and something I want to do. So yeah, I don't know if other people feel that way, but um, it just seems like the natural progression to, to just keep going longer. <laughs> well, and naturally, I have to ask you this question because it just has me curious. I'm th- kind of the same age as you. I'm a year older. But you see uh, runners like uh, Mary Katani who have children. Like, do you factor that at all with your running career? Like, you know, maybe you don't want to have children, but if you do, like, factor in... I want to be finished with my career first or I want to put it in there. I mean, I feel like as a female distance runner, that's something you guys have to think about a lot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's uh, the, your peak years for having kids and for running overlap. So it's it's always hard to make that call of, you know, do you take a voluntary break or do you wait until you have a break from an injury? Or um, And I think you... Like, for me, it seems like I'd have to have enough satisfaction with my career to, as it is, before I move on to that, just because um, you see people come back after having kids, and, and they run great, and they, they have sort of a great new perspective on running, but it is a compromise, for sure, compared mm-hmm. to what I do now, so I definitely think that's my personal take on it that like, I don't feel satisfied enough yet to take Mm. the break. Like Mm -hmm. I, I'd still go crazy taking the break, I think. (laughs) So, um, yeah, hopefully after in a few more years, I'll be able to fit that in and then, um, have the best of both worlds. But, um, yeah, it's definitely one of those questions that women runners have to ask themselves. And my, a lot of my friends have, have families now and so it's good to see them as an example and and how they make it work and um how happy they are and and you know but then on the flip side how like kids come first it's it's just the way it is so um yeah it's definitely something definitely one of those questions you're always wrestling with (laughs) well and you know I actually debated asking that because you know some people well, and just typically you don't ask someone like, when are you going to have kids? Like you just don't ask that question. But I do feel like uh, as a someone in their mid-30s who has kids and who is a distance runner, 
I'm like, naturally, as women, we think mm-hmm. about this kind of thing, don't we? And most of my listeners are women. Yeah, and it, it is such a, I mean, maybe not most of them are professional athletes, but it is still such a big, it, it's a question that takes up a big part of my brain. I'm sure it takes up a big part of everyone else's thoughts. Um, it's just a whole, it's a little bit more complicated because it's my job too. And yeah. We do not have maternity leave. <laughs> we have the opposite, <laughs> where you get worse at your job after you have kids, and people only pay you if you're fast. So yeah, it's this whole—it's this whole stressful, like swirl of like questions and emotions that go into it. But um, I think it's an important question and thing to talk about. Well, and yeah, and to your point, you can certainly come back faster after becoming a mother, but you don't know what's going to happen emotionally either like maybe emotionally you will feel like I want to hang this up you know and you weren't maybe you wouldn't have necessarily been ready to do that beforehand so there are so many factors I well, I appreciate you kind of going into that with me yeah no problem so Saucony is your sponsor I feel like Saucony is such a great sponsor like they seem like they bring on um really I don't know if eclectic is the right word but like a great group of athletes um one of the other Saucony athletes I've talked to on this podcast is Molly Ludlow. She's my friend here in Indianapolis. Um, and I saw they recently signed Noah Drordy. So I just feel like it's like really great group there. Can you kind of talk about Saucony a little bit? Yeah, definitely. They they are a great company. They're, um, I think one of their mission missions is to inspire people to run. Um, and like whether you're a professional runner or just starting to run, they just know that that has such an impact on your life and on your day. And um, I just, I like what they're about and just the company as a whole. Like, I feel like I know them all so well after 11 years and um, they're just good people. So um, I've been really proud to represent them and just grateful for their support the last uh over a decade, I guess. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a special place to be a part of. And, um, all the athletes are really good people and I'm friends with them. Like I, I know Molly, she's great. And, um, yeah, Molly Seidel, they just signed who I know from Notre Dame. So they have three solid Mollies there. Yeah. (laughs) Molly's a good name Um, for Saucony. Yeah. So it's, it's been a really, like, I feel like I've, had a really good group of people supporting me and hopefully I've represented them well the last couple years. Well, and you know, Molly's a good, uh, Molly Ludlow. She's kind of like right along the lines of what we were talking with, with having babies because, you know, she decided this past year to have a baby and she's kind of for now she's going to nursing school and kind of like hanging up the professional distance career for now. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of interesting that we were just kind of going there. And then she, he, here's this other other side where she's decided to kind of move that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you run in the Saucony Ride, right? Or the Freedom? Both? Both, yeah. Yep. I also run in the Ride. I have not tried the Freedom yet. Yeah, I really like the Freedom. They, they're a lot lighter. So um, you might not want to do a long run in them right away, although I, I do. But I've been wearing them a couple months. But yeah, they're they're a good light shoe, and then uh, the Canvara I also like. They're my three like my regular 
Milet shoes. Okay, now I can't do the Kanvara because I wear these like custom orthotics because I'm an old lady because my feet pronate and um, I had an issue with the Kanvaras. But I do love the rides and I will try the Freedom. So, okay, I have a couple listener uh, questions real quick. If, do you have time for that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Kayla Atkinson, uh, she actually just ran Houston, her debut marathon. She ran a 241, which was super impressive. Um, she wants to know... What does Molly's uh, pre-race and during-race fueling look like? Like for Houston, what'd you have for breakfast? Mm-hmm. Um, first, congrats because I think that's a trials qualifier. It Am is, right? yeah. yeah so Isn't that good awesome? job. Yeah, um, <clears throat> fueling. Yeah, for <clears throat> for the half, um, it's different than for the marathon, where I'm like counting, like to make sure I have enough carbohydrates and stuff. But typically beforehand, I'll have um, like. Uh, I try to have like eight ounces of Gatorade or so, like just fluid to get up when I get up in the morning, just to hydrate. Um, usually I'll have like a peanut butter and, um, banana like toast or bagel or something like that. Um, and then I like to have like an espresso shot for some caffeine. Ooh, nice. Do you normally have caffeine or do you save that for race day? I normally have it. Like I would have a headache if I didn't have it. So yeah. it's just, it's just like my normal morning. Totally. Yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. And then yep. do you, uh, do you eat or drink anything? Do you, I mean, during a half, what do you do? I mean, it was so cold uh, in Houston. Yeah. Like I don't normally just because they, like the people I've talked to, um, the scientists at Gatorade were saying, you know, you don't really need it for longer or for shorter than I think it's like 90 minutes or two hours. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but and I did kind of blow up the last three miles. So I was wondering, like, would fueling have helped or was that really just from going out too hard? But um, I didn't take any. I don't typically take anything in the half because I think it might slow you down more to take a drink yeah. in my case. Um, but if you're P if at the time you're shooting for is like close to two hours or something longer in the half, then I would advise to take, um, you know, the pro like every five K, um, to try and delay that kind of glycogen depletion. And then in the marathon, of course, there's like the typical bottle program that people use. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking at Houston, you're running so fast. It's like in that last three miles with like a hundred calories of zing, helped you or would it have been like a hindrance because it would have taken you like you know an extra five seconds or whatever to mess with getting it in right yeah I I think it might have just been lactic acid at that point yeah like I'm not sure (laughs) yeah um so in Boston in a marathon you've got the bottle system like all the other elite runners are doing um what are in your bottles so I like um Gatorade Endurance Formula Lemon Lime uh, drink mix and uh, every other bottle I'll use a Gatorade gel um, the Gatorade endurance gels are they're new they're really good and mm. my favorite flavor is the apple pear um, Ooh, that's they're like they have yeah they're like they're really nice because they're not as um, thick as the other gels I was mm-hmm. taking and so you don't need like they don't like stick in your mouth and they taste more kind of more natural so is that mixed with water yes yep. just like a little bit of water yeah, I I can't really drink more than like I think the most I've drink drank out of one bottle was five ounces. Mm. Um, so um, I kind of struggle with that. But yeah, usually not more than like eight ounces mixed with it. Yeah, because you want to make sure you get all the gel mm-hmm. in the drink. Yep. Um, and then what at what mile do you t- usually take your? Do you think you'll take your last bottle? 
probably um, like 5K to go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All the way up. I try not to skip any of, well, in my one marathon, I didn't skip any of them. And I felt like the, the one thing that I did well was um, the fueling strategy. Like I, I didn't feel like I bonked from mm. a fuel standpoint. I just was tired. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard too, because sometimes you're like, you don't feel like you need it, but you know, three miles down the road, you needed it. You just didn't realize it at the time. Right. Yep. <laughs> uh, Stacy wants to know if you have any mantras, like, you know, like the last three or 5k of Houston, like, was there anything you were saying to get you to that finish line and as fast as you possibly can to get the American record? Um, I usually do try to re- say something just simple and easy. Um, it happened to be just, um, it's going to be close. I just kept saying that because <laughs> I was like, I knew I was slowing down. So I was like, you can't slow down cause it's going to be close. Um, I, it's not really a mantra. I just yeah. was panicking, <laughs> but usually I, yeah, I try to say like, you know, get, get the next person or you feel like you're okay. Like when you feel like you're not okay, just keep saying you're okay. Um, or that like you can do it or be strong. Um, anything related to strong is usually my favorite, um, favorite like mantra I like that just because even if you just repeat the word it's like a it's like um you're programming yourself to say and believe that you truly are strong yeah and I find it you know you can only think like so many things at one time so um might as well be something positive (laughs) yeah that's really good um when I interviewed Dina on the podcast I was so fortunate. I interviewed her like right before my fall marathon and she said something to me. She said her mantra is she would tell herself at the end of races to define yourself. And I can't tell you how I wrote it on my arm and I, and I'm not like a corny person for the most part, but I thought about that so much during that dang race. And so many other people that listened to the episode felt the same way. I mean, people that were running that race, it was right before New York too. So I was just so interesting when someone like you or someone like Dina puts a word out there, how powerful it can be to so many other runners. Yeah. Uh, define yourself. That's really powerful. I like that. Yeah. Because it's like, and my husband kept saying it to me because he paced me at the end of the, I mean, he paced the whole race. He ran with me. Um, cause we're allowed to do that, you know, since I'm not trying to like win the New York city <laughs> marathon. <laughs> um, but he kept, he was, you know, on a different note, you know, I was thinking, define yourself, define yourself. And then he kind of really spoke to me and he was like, Lindsay, like at the end of the day, this is you like, you know, nobody cares. Nobody, you know, it doesn't really matter to anybody but you. So I was like, that really goes well with the define yourself, you know? Yeah. Like it's, there's this fine balance of like taking pressure off yourself, but then keeping yourself accountable for stuff at the same time. Um, so it is, you know, before the race, you might want to say, like, it's it's just for me. <clears throat> but then you need something to really pep you up the last 5K. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I like to find yourself. That's good. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like, you're, I mean, at the end of the day, you're probably going to be the most proud of yourself or the most disappointed in yourself, whether you give it all or give up, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So Jessica wants to know... Um, how do you prepare mentally for tough workouts and races? Like, do you work with a, a sports psychologist or anything? Um, we don't work with one regularly, but <clears throat> I have seen one on a couple occasions. And um, my former training partner, Roisin McGettigan, has, um, she does the Believe I Am running journals, oh, which yeah. have a lot of 
there are a lot of good basic sports psychology cues and articles in there. Um, so obviously having her as a friend, I've like picked up on a lot of things and she's given me some advice in that area. So it, yeah, just things like that you've probably even heard before, but, um, just like being more process oriented and just taking thing, being in the moment and, um, you know, tackling a workout like a mile at a time and not thinking ahead too far to the, how much it's going to hurt or how hard it's going to be or, um, things like that have helped, um, hard workouts and in on race day when you can then just, you know, if you're feeling the pressure, just pretend it's a hard workout. And then obviously at the end, then you (laughs) change your mindset and, um, pour it all out. But, um, those have really helped a lot. And, um, yeah, you just, it's just keeping it all in perspective and trying to stay um, motivated and positive and focused mostly on what you can do and the things you can control and um, all that advice that you've probably heard before. But um, distance running is simple like that. Like that stuff really is true. So Mm -hmm. what can you say to like um, saving it for race day? You know, you, you have to put, most of it out there, you know, in your workouts, like you have to work your butt off, but there is something to be said for saving it for a race day. And, and how do you handle that as someone who runs as their, you know, professional career? Yeah, that's, that's been a big lesson. Like I learned that pretty early when I came to Providence that, um, there's a certain effort for race day and then there's efforts for recovery days and efforts for practice. And if you, if you, it can be hard to realize if you're overreaching um, in practice because I found I didn't know I was tired until I recovered. And then I was like, oh, this is what it feels like mm-hmm. to <laughs> have a good workout. Like, this is what a good race feels like. Like, I didn't realize I was tired all the time before. So um, once you have that positive reinforcement of, you know, hitting the right efforts and then having a really good race, then you know to keep doing it, but it can be hard to figure out at first. So yeah, we, we don't have too many workouts where we'll go to the well, like we work out hard, but, um, maybe if we do a time trial once or twice a year is the only time that I'll dig that deep. Um, just because for me, I know like that's one of my strengths is on race day that I can do that. And I know it's limited and I know I can burn it out. So, um, that's something we've learned over the years to kind of work out at a certain level so that you can race you, and you just trust that it's there on race day. Yeah. And that's really important to you. A lot of people have a hard time trusting that. Um, Molly, if you could be, Aaron wants to know, this is my last listener question, I promise. Erin <laughs> um, wants to know if you weren't a professional runner, what would your 33 year old self, uh, want to be you know because we go to school when we're 18 thinking we want to be one thing and then at 33 our thoughts maybe have completely shifted oh yeah I I'm lucky to be running this long I I think I probably I hope I would have gotten into med school that's kind of what I was trying to do up until um my fifth year of college and um I think that's where I'd be right now I hope I'd be a doctor somewhere I I wasn't sure what professional running even was when I was 18. Um, and then halfway through college, I was like, I know what it is. I'd love to do that, but who knows how long you get. And then I was so lucky to still be improving up until 33 years old. So, um, yeah, I, 
I would hope to be a doctor somewhere. I don't know what kind. Yeah, but, I was going to say, yeah. did you have a specific <clears throat> field that you are specifically interested in? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I took the MCAT twice, so I think I would have almost gotten into med school and then figured <laughs> it out from there. <laughs> That's awesome. So you're a big Oprah fan, right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> do you listen to her podcast? I do. Yep. Oh, awesome. Super Soul? Yes. Yep. I was just listening to the one, it's the guy who was talking about happiness and like how happiness is a choice. And I was listening to the part two of that one. It's so good. Oh, I haven't gotten to that one yet. It's one of the newer ones. I mean, it's, it's okay. in the last like couple of weeks. It's really good there. I've had some favorites on there, but it's definitely one of my favorite podcasts. Um, yeah. I love that we have that in common. And clearly this was before like Oprah's big speech. I mean that her speech was great. It was amazing. But like we were super fans before, correct? Yes, yes. But that was a great, great speech. I think I've watched it like three times. Yeah, it was so good. Well, I went to bed that night and I I didn't watch uh, the Oscars. It was the Oscars, right? No. Uh, no, the... Uh, um, Golden Globes. No? Golden Globes. Was the, it? The one, that's, the one that's TV and movies. Okay, whatever it was. The Globes. Yeah, the, the Globes. Globes is the first one. Yeah. Okay, well, everybody was, you know, tweeting about it and I had already kind of like gone to bed for the night. And then my ba- my youngest son was up kind of crying in the night. And I was like, well, I'm up here laying in bed anyway. I might as well go watch the speech that everybody's talking about. <laughs> so I watched it at like 2 a.m. just laying in bed. Uh, that's great. So, Molly, what is one thing professionally or personally that you haven't done that you would like to do? Um, I think <clears throat> we always talk about uh, visiting Africa, like Um, we have so many people that we know that run in Kenya and Ethiopia and I've always wanted to go visit. Um, and I know a lot of people do it for like, you know, train there at some of the training camps. So we've never done that. And I, it's something I'd like to do at some point, um, before I'm done running just to check off that part of the world and see what's there. It looks, it looks like really interesting culture and, um, really beautiful runs. Where's the coolest place you've traveled for running? For running, probably um, Zurich. The Diamond Leagues in Zurich. The running there was really pretty. They had like a <clears throat> like a wood woodland trail near the hotel we were staying at the one year. Um, so that was really pretty. And I haven't gone. At, haven't really gone to any of the really exotic places. Like there's a there's one in Morocco now that would be really cool to visit. I haven't done that one. Um, and South Korea was probably the most interesting place, just as far as like somewhere I like so different from anywhere I'd ever been. Um, so that was that was interesting. That's awesome. That's the one. That's one of the really cool things about your career is just the, all the cool places that you get to travel to. Yeah, definitely. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? I think uh, maybe the 10k American record, just because <clears throat> it's a time I kind of never thought I'd be able to run. Um, and I'm just proud that it was on a really important day for me. Um, so it's always hard to like, that's always a challenge Mm -hmm. to line up big days with the big accomplishments and you just, you hope you can, but, um, yeah, I was glad that we were able to do that at the Olympics. That was a crazy race. Yes. Very fast. (laughs) Sprinted the entire 10 (laughs) K. Yeah. And it's just weird to be so like, it's hard to walk away happy because you're so far back. Like, I think I was like sixth or seventh um 
but yeah, I still, you know, to run the best you possibly could have on that day is still like, well, that's what we meant to do. So, <laughs> and in good conscience. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, what's an accomplishment? You're all right. You, I just asked that Lindsay, um, <laughs> if you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a hard question. I know. Uh, um, <clears throat> I think, I guess there's a lot of negative things in the world. So if you can, if you can find a way to inspire or motivate or um, like encourage people uh, on a given day, like that's a really special thing. So um, I guess that's what I would say. Like, what can you do to inspire or motivate or encourage someone today or any day? And um, that's how I like to think of like racing is if you can inspire someone watching or to get out and run or to, you know, work harder at what they're doing or to feel like something is possible that they thought was impossible, then that's, that's a pretty cool thing. That's awesome. Yeah. And if you think about that every single day, there's probably something you can do to inspire somebody. Yes. What are you loving right now? Anything? Um, as far as like, things yeah <laughs> products like any apparel or drink or gadget or <clears throat> movie or yeah. a couple things I guess I reference my training journal a lot <clears throat> because it's really important I have uh I think I have like 13 or 15 years of training journals at my house um but yeah, my Believe I Am training journal, I talk about a lot. It's got, like I said, the sports psychology cues and advice on training and kind of some cool articles and inspiring quotes in there. So that's something I'm loving and I reference a lot. Actually, I, I packed my current journal and my journal from the last, my two journals from the last two years so I can like compare workouts to each other Oh, nice! <laughs> um, on this training trip. And then... I'm also really liking, if you're like a tech person, um, my Polar GPS that I use, the one I, there's a couple, the one I use is the M430, but the M600 has like cool, like, um, like you can put music on it and it syncs up to your phone and stuff. But I really like the one I'm using with the, uh, iPhone app, the Polar Flow app, because after every workout, you can go in and see like the route you took and the elevation changes and your heart rate. And like there's it's like information overload if you like that kind of thing, <laughs> which I do. I, I do like to look at all the numbers and stuff um, and just see how they change day to day. So that's my favorite thing. Um, and then recently I was sent um, or I'm <clears throat> about to be sent this Speaking of carrying your phone with you, um, it's like this little clip for, I don't know if like you use your phone for music or yeah, um, totally. podcasts or whatever. It's like a way to clip it to your sports bra that's like keeps it from getting sweaty and um, it goes on your back so it doesn't like bounce around a lot. Ooh, what's um, it called? Yeah, the girl said it's called Koala Clip and I'm like super excited to get one. I don't know if you've tried it already. But... She sent, yes, she sent me one. Yeah, the same I, thing. Yeah, I I read it and I was like, I actually do need that. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't tried it yet. So you've tried it? No, she's gonna send me one too. But okay. I saw the the like write up on it. Uh huh. And I was like, that's 
that's better than my sandwich bag that I was like wrapping around it and like putting in my bra. So I'm excited to try it like on an outside run. The only thing I, if I'm like running with music or a podcast, the only thing is, is like if you are getting bored with the podcast you're listening to or something and you want to switch it, I'm like, would that be hard to do if it's like in your sports bra? But no, I'm excited to try it as well. And, And I'm impressed with this girl because she just kind of like taught herself how to sew and like this is a startup for her. So I'm excited that you mentioned that for her because, you know, she's trying to get this thing off the ground. Yeah, I I pretty much know I'm going to like it, but um, I'll wait to try. <laughs> I'll wait to try it. So. That's awesome. Um, last question. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Um, what did I just I read like three at once and then I only finish one. <laughs> so um, I just finished. Oh, this one's kind of old, but I <clears throat> hadn't gotten to it till now. Um, Joy Luck Club with Amy Tan. Um, really good story. Uh, I think it's, it was like a bestseller like years ago. Um, but I saw she had come out with, um, I think a memoir or her mother's memoir or something. And then that made, that kind of circled me back to this book when I looked for that. So yeah, it's just, it's a great life story of like four different families. Um, I really like nonfiction. So you know, I had that book in my pile for a while, but I never read it. So I, that's encouraging yeah. me to maybe go back to it. Um, yeah. So this is, that book's fiction. Her memoir is nonfiction. Okay. But, um, awesome. I like, yeah, I like both. Well, Molly, I know like I asked for 30 or 40 minutes, so I'm really sorry that this went so far over. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no problem. Feel free to edit away if you have to. Oh, I don't want to edit, but I just didn't want to ask for too much of your time because I knew you were probably super busy. So I appreciate you letting me ramble. That's why I was like, I want to get to this right away because I knew that I would have so many like Boston specific questions that that alone would take a long time. So um, I just appreciate you kind of like letting me go over a little bit there. Oh, yeah, no problem. (laughs) Um, Well, best of luck. And I have this like huge group of girls that are all going to cheer with me in Boston. And we cannot wait to cheer for you. So we'll be um, cheering for you during your training, too, as well. Awesome. Thanks so much. I'll take all the cheers I can get. (laughs) Yay. All right. Best of luck. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay. thanks, Lindsay. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you loved that bonus episode. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Saucony, for connecting us. And and you guys have a wonderful weekend. Have a great Friday. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.